0: Right now, get up to sixty percent off your Babble subscription at Babbel.com dot com slash bluewire. That's sixty percent off at Babbel.com dot com slash bluewire spelled b a b b e l dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply
1: hey everyone. this is Josh Nelson and you are about to listen to a special episode from Jim and I's appearance on the Scene and Home show on six seventy the score. Who could be the next white sox manager? How does this team get better in 2023? What's the plan here? We touch on those topics in our roundtable discussion and hope you enjoy it.
2: Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studio. Presented to you by your local Hyundai dealers. This is where Chicago goes to talk Bears. Sports Radio 670 The Score. Chicago's home for Bears fans. WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The score, score. Socks Machine. Jim Margulis, managing editor of SoxMachine.com.
3: When you look at performance lost to injury, even when the players are in the lineup and trying to play, those are the questions that have to be wrestled with. Trying to see whether there was any disconnect at the front office to clubhouse level about how injuries were managed and whether like a managerial change, a full and proper one would take care of that. Josh
1: Nelson. LaRusse is a symptom. The root cause is whatever relationship there is going on in the inner workings of the Chicago White Sox between Jerry Reinsdorf, Ken Williams, and Rick Hahn. I'm sure the pockets of the front office... Important pockets. Important pockets of the front oh, office okay. are probably with us.
2: Sox machine. With Bernstein and Holmes on 670 The Score. We want machine. Sox machine round table.
4: Wow! Ray had his, his pet robot add in another little line there. Usually when you hear that open, it means we have either Jim Margulis, who is on Twitter at Sox Machine or Josh Nelson, who's on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Well, the fact is, we've got both of them here. Josh is in studio and Jim is with us on the score hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Also on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 the score. Jim, thanks for being here. Before we get started, I want to begin with a valediction from one of our, our a long-suffering White Sox fan who's been a, a part of the shows here on The Score. This is written, just a single paragraph here from Bill on Capitol Hill. He says, Love sitting Shiva with all of you on the Sox. Nothing became their season like the leaving of it. Sniveling, miserable, irrelevant. In fact, this may have well been the essential season for the Sox. All of the Oedipal dramas that cling to Reinsdorf teams like Body Odor condensed into one horrifying, muddled, and worthless year. At least the sun will swallow us in the next 2.2 <laughs> billion years. Go, go, White Sox, bitches.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good season recap. Uh, Jim, you had a really good season recap today on SoxMachine.com, but that, that's pretty good.
3: Yeah, mine feels inadequate now.
5: <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I thought it was pretty strong myself uh, of what you guys did. Let's let's start with this because when we did the preview of the season, Josh had kind of done his worst case scenario on the White Sox, and I told him that I would kill him for it. Yep. If it came to fruition, so guess what? You are still here? Congratulations, <laughs> you've made it to the execution. <laughs> uh, and let, let's start with Jim on this, Jim. Why did things go as badly as they did for the White Sox?
3: Because a lot of people were hurt. And because unlike, say, other teams that also dealt with significant injuries, and I would say probably the Rays dealt with significant injury issues better than anybody else in the league, they did not really act on them. Guys played hurt. Uh, Guys played, you know, like 80% of themselves. Uh, Guys did not take rehab stints. Guys sat on the unofficial IL and cost them a roster spot for like a week or two at a time. So there didn't really seem to be a whole lot of proactivity when it came to addressing these shortcomings. And there was this like unyielding faith over the course of, especially the first half saying, well, we're in this for the long haul. We don't want to overextend ourselves because we know come September, come October, we're going to need everybody on hand. And then come September not everybody was on hand, but even the guys who were on hand weren't, necessarily at full strength they were you know some were never at full strength so had this issue where they're just you know between 80 percent uh player base and then an 80 percent roster sometimes literally 80 percent with who was unavailable uh they were just never a complete team
1: i very much agree with that and uh it just angers me when we go back in time hearing the players it's early it's early in april it's early in may we just lost 10 out of 11 but don't worry it's early, and then June came around. It's early, and now we have the easiest schedule remaining in Major League Baseball. Punt on that. Give us a little hope to the All-Star break. You went three out of four in Minneapolis. Proceed to come home and get your teeth kicked in by Cleveland in that opening game. And all of a sudden, you can't win the first game in each series, and as Jim mentioned, come September. And I think the reoccurring theme in all this, as you guys mentioned, is that the lack of adults in the room. Where was the front office? to have the final say on how to manage these players. Tony La Russa eventually had to leave because of health issues. Was Miguel Cairo ever empowered in this final stretch to act as the manager or was he babysitting? So there's some serious questions going to 2023 regarding the leadership, but it's just not leadership in the clubhouse. When we talk about leadership in professional sports, a lot of times it's about who are the leaders in the locker room? there needs to be better leaders or better demonstration of leadership from the White Sox organization as a whole. Because not only is it impacting your on-field product, but you have made many, many White Sox fans angry. And season ticket renewals are down. And your sales staff is now short-staffed because we are getting those emails. I'm a season ticket holder, and now I'm getting emails that the sales team is behind on renewals for next year because they are short-staffed. It's just not White Sox fans that are angry. There are employees within 35th and Shields that are also very angry and what is going on. And Rick Hahn couldn't do a worse job with his end-of-season press conference and him saying we need to build trust, and he did a terrible job in building that trust going into this offseason.
4: Before we get to the manager, let's talk about the roster, this roster that was never properly built, that for h- however it was stacked up, ended up with lots of wrong pieces in wrong places, that it was death by a thousand cuts defensively. And when you talk about leadership, the one understood leader in on everybody's list has been Jose Abreu. Right. And leave it to the White Sox to be in a position where a reasonable person could understand why they have to get rid of him.
1: Isn't that terrible? <laughs> Isn't that terrible? Like, yeah, we have to look at the roster construction, very popular in SoxMachine.com that Jim has set up for years, the offseason plan project. And it's hard to bring back Jose Abreu. One, it's kind of hard to understand what he could sign in free agency. But you got teams like Houston and San Diego and Boston. They need help at first base. These are contending teams. These are teams that have won in the postseason and have made it to the World Series. And at the age of 36, this is something that Jose Abreu has to consider. Are the White Sox my best chance of making the World Series in 2023? No. The answer is no. So he should entertain whatever offers there are in free agency. And that's why it's a bit heartbreaking and how this saga ends with Jose Abreu that we hear in the second to last game of the season in his last at bat, Tina Turner's simply the best which was really weird uh being in the stadium for that and then I'm walking home from the stadium and Miguel Cairo says he's not playing tomorrow and he's not even gonna, he's not gonna wave goodbye so our lasting image of Jose abreu in a white sox uniform is him grounding out the third this is how it ends and I in a in a way Jim I guess it's it's fitting for the white sox
3: yeah because like when you think about the uh consternation over the extension that they signed Abreu to, three years and 50 million. It seemed kind of a necessary right-handed first baseman only types were not getting really paid in free agency. So they had them for the qualifying offer costs and then they added two years onto it. And people thought, yeah, this might be unnecessary. This might be kind of Jerry Reinsdorf's loyalty uh, forcing the White Sox to bid against themselves. This could go really wrong. And what happens, he wins the MVP and they win the division in 2021. And he has a really good year this year, like it's it, he didn't have the power. He had 15 homers, like that wasn't there, but he compensated with drawing more walks, getting on base. The average ticked up again, and it was a really good decline year. And I, looking at this lineup and thinking about what kind of 2022 I wanted from Abreu in 2020, this would look like that kind of year where maybe he isn't the cleanup hitter he was, but he's still keeping the line moving. And now it's time for Aloy Jimenez to take over, Yon Mancada to take over, Luis Robert, like the next wave. Of middle of the order fixtures to really lead this team going forward, and nobody is taking the baton from Abreu. He's he's you know he's getting on base at a 380 clip. Like hey somebody you know help me out, drive me in, you know keep the line moving, and nobody did it. Grandal collapsed as well, which doesn't help. But he had the kind of decline I think everybody wanted to, you know hoped to see from Abreu if there was going to be a decline at all, and that's like the best case scenario. They did not take advantage of it.
4: Help me out when we, t- we take Rick Hahn at his word, and I disagree with him when he says this isn't a situation you can solve by throwing money at it. I think this is exactly the situation, exactly the time, the team. This is when you start cutting checks to make up for everything else that went wrong. You may not want to, but you can and you should. He's not going to. They're trying to solve things through trades. Who does anybody want on this roster that, 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 is, that still belongs to the White Sox? Like what? If we list their
1: assets, what are they? I think the one is Liam Hendricks. So pay attention to see how this postseason unfolds. Whatever team that won 100 games this year, and there's a lot of them actually uh, in this postseason, if they don't make it to the postseason because of high leverage situations that they busted in the ninth inning, I think Rick Hahn's going to get some phone calls about Liam Hendricks. One thing to note, his 2024 club option automatically vests if he is traded. So he becomes a 2-year, $29 million closer, which in the open market is pretty affordable for someone like Liam Hendricks. So that's the first name that comes to my mind, Jim is Hendricks is someone that could be tradable.
3: Yeah, the problem with that is like he's, you know, that's a little bit better than market rate but still basically market rate. The White Sox, you know, the the guys who are playing well are they're still paying retail for. It. And then everybody else is more or less selling low. There might be some change of scenery trades that might have to be made, or like, you know, Andrew Vaughn is fine, but not great. Gavin Sheets is fine and might be interesting to a team needing his specific set of skills, but not great. Like nobody is really um yeah, has really lit it up to where, like, you know, teams will be salivating for it. everybody who is maybe discussing a trade at the White Sox can bring up significant flaws that they can maybe overstate to use as leverage, or at least to uh, you know, downplay their interest and maybe lower the price a little bit. And then you get to the prospect level. Colson Montgomery is legit. Oscar Colas, it seems legit, uh, but that's about it. You know, Brian Ramos is cool. Uh, There's some other prospects down the line that are interesting, but not like, you know, be able to reshape the 26 you know, man roster in a meaningful way kind of interesting. Jim,
5: how bad are things for the White Sox, specifically with payroll next year?
3: It depends on, uh, you know, and this is a, a dangerous thing to depend on, but Ryan's door's appetite, like, I don't think he's the stingiest owner, but I don't think he likes to spend money to make money. And Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams are terrible at making him money to spend. So they're kind of stuck in this loop to where, there's one big expenditure. Like, yeah, the, the, there is news that the White Sox broke two million in attendance for the first time since 2011, and that was another year where there was a lot of preseason excitement. But then it just kind of rotted over the course of the season. There was a whole lot of uh, acrimony and infighting at the front office between manager and general manager. Nobody had the power to do anything about it. You had Adam Dunn and Alex Rios having historically bad seasons and playing all the way through them, and just it was it was neglect and. Uh, and everything just kind of wasted away. And then the next year they have to take a step back uh, and, and, you know, they, they kind of look into a postseason run because it was just, you know, we saw what happened when Robin mentor took over and just people cared again. And people just had some autonomy to correct mistakes at the uh, major league roster level. And, you know, but then it all rotted away again. So I think, this is the problem is that like, you know, he spent a record amount of money. They did not get anything close to what they wanted. They're not getting any postseason revenue. So I would anticipate another step back to where like, maybe they shave another 20 million off the roster. Like having Keiko off the books helps having Abreu off the books helps, but still there are guys who are getting more expensive through arbitration or through the uh, agreed upon extensions like, you know, Robert signed and Mancada and Jimenez signed. So it's not getting any cheaper, uh, you know, I think automatically or by attrition. So there are going to be some conscious choices being made, whether it's trading a Hendricks, whether it's trading a Graveman, uh, you know, some guys who are just making money that they might be able to replace cheaper internally uh, that are going to have to be considered, I think.
5: And and Josh, your guy, AJ Pollock, he's got a, a
1: $15 million option, right? Yeah. There's a, it's 13 because he didn't hit all the incentives, okay. which less up. Uh, if he opts in, it's, 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 it's 13 million. Uh, If he opts out, it's $5 million from the White Sox and he becomes a free agent. So when I did my virtual whiteboard, you take the names and that's how I start my offseason plan project and what I would like the White Sox to do. So let me build a theoretical 26-man roster for 2023. If Pollock opts in, I'm already at $170 million. If he opts out, I'm at $162 million. And boy, guys, I hate my roster. It's not good. It is mediocre. It is redundant in the wrong places at first base and DH and bullpen. Still. It is is shallow in starting pitching and middle infield and in center field where the plan is basically stay healthy. That's where I'm at in my virtual whiteboard before making any moves. And we talked about this in our last episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. We're thinking like, $165, $175 $165, 175000000 million is going to be the payroll for the White Sox next year. Just based on history, when they've increased spending the following year, they have cut spending by 20 to $30 million in the opening day payroll of the next season. So I think Jim is right that you're going to be at about 165 175 and I'm already tapped out before making any moves. We love the
5: Sox machine, guys. Jim and Josh are here. They're going to stick around for another segment. When we come back, Who's going to manage the White Sox? We will get their thoughts on it. This is Bernstein and Holmes with the Sox Machine Guys here on The Score.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
2: Homes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station.
4: 81
2: and 81. Damn. The White Sox suck. Sox machine. With Bernstein and Holmes on 670 The Score. We want machine. Sox machine roundtable.
4: Even Ray's robot friend is unhappy. Wow. Machine is uh, Yeah. The, upset.
5: The, the actual machine itself is, is It's White Sox baseball has broken the Sox machine it's become, and turned it into a score caller. It's becomes sentient
4: and unhappy, and it now identifies as Bob. <laughs>
5: Bob from Bridgeport. It can only be Bob. Go right,
4: we are We are talking with both Josh Nelson and Jim Margulis of Sox Machine. And when we last left you, we were speculating about who comes next in charge of this bench, this dugout, this locker room, and how they figure it out. What's top
1: of mind for each of you as the process begins? I th- For me... I don't think they need to be a strategic wizard. Like I, I heard Steve Stone on Mullion Hall earlier this week on Tuesday talk about, you know, if you hire a first-time manager, there's always bumps in the road because they're a first-time manager. There are things that they are coming across for the very first time. And maybe you'd be better off to bring a proven manager into the fold. But we, talk, we heard so often throughout the year, the back of the baseball card. Well, look at the back of the baseball card. They will bounce back, just have faith. And with a proven manager that has experience my concern is, do they have the mentality of, listen to me because I've done this before. And if you don't listen to me, well, I'll just let you fail because I have succeeded. So you're not going to wreck my resume. It is your resume. I'm thinking someone maybe a little unproven. Like the White Sox need to find their version of Dave Martinez. And Dave Martinez left the Cubs. He joined the Nationals. A couple of years later, they win the World Series. Because Dave Martinez wanted to prove himself himself. He wanted to step outside of Joe Madden's shadow. And I think that is the direction the White Sox should take, is going after maybe some coaches on other teams right now. I would love... Joe Espada to be the next manager of the Chicago White Sox, but after listening to Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic talk about the current situation within the Houston Astros, ownership, butting heads with the GM, Dusty Baker doesn't have a contract next year. That seems to be a really easy path to have Joe Espada be the next manager of the Houston Astros. So I don't know how attainable it is, but listening to the Bernstein and Holmes show this week, I like what I'm hearing about Willie Harris. Really? What what David Ross had to say and what Marcus Stroman texted. So I reached out to an ex White Sox minor leaguer who played under Willie Harris when Willie Harris was a minor league coach for the White Sox, mm. just asking what was it like and how do you think Willie could fit in. And they texted me. I think Willie would win over the veterans and any new guys because he tells you how it is, what to expect, and he's brutally honest with expectations. His relay he relates unreal with players. And it doesn't really matter who is with the team right now or who's going to be with the team. He'll be able to relate to them. He's so refreshing. The fans will love him. And his press conferences will be hilarious. I don't know how important that last point is. But the more I hear about Willie Harris, Jim, and I know you mentioned it to, him, to me before uh, last week, I feel like that's not a terrible idea. And, yes, he has White Sox DNA and a connection with the White Sox. So it could make sense.
3: Yeah, the only reason... I don't like Willie Harris is because he is a member of the White Sox or was a member <laughs> of the White Sox. And, you know, they're, they're a very insular hiring process. And the fact that Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn are still in charge of the hiring process, which led them to non-processes uh, that resulted in Robin Ventura and, uh, you know, being overridden for uh, Toya LaRusso. Like, it's just, it's been a mess. So Willie Harris, you know, on the surface would feel like revisiting some of those themes. On the other hand, like Harris has conducted himself as somebody who wants to manage. Like they had to persuade Robin Ventura to manage. They had to persuade Tony La Russa to manage. They had to you know, sell them on the idea that this was going to be good for them and for everybody. Harris has been doing, you know, he's been knocking down all the steps. He, he went up the rungs of the minor league ladder. He's been coaching on uh, major league staffs. He's been willing to jump organizations to find that better opportunity to grow. So I think, you know, he checks all the boxes in terms of like a reasonable hiring and you just have to, you know, if he's hired, you have to set aside the very unreasonable history that the White Sox have to kind of shed that baggage, but it's not his fault. Like you have to, you can't hold that against him. He's been doing everything right himself. Jim, I've been trying to figure out because
5: in listening to Rick talk about them maybe needing some outside ideas, my concern is if things aren't, going to change from him and Kenny's perspective and Jerry's perspective, what chance does a manager who is outside of the family have to actually go in and affect change?
3: Perhaps this last season shows some possibility where they can, you know, have an outsized impact by, you know, putting players on the injured list when they're (laughs) injured. Like, you know, perhaps that's one case where there was a disconnect and a manager who, yeah, maybe wasn't as, uh, concerned with the long term and with like the long run and realizing like, Oh, this week, we're taking on water this week. Something needs to be done. Perhaps that's a case where that manager who might have like less of a track record might have uh, trying to put you know wins and losses on his record might be inspired to actually, you know, make that change himself. So, you know, I, I can see your point that, uh, you know, certainly there is so much um, baggage from the White Sox front office that a manager can only do so much, but we saw the marginal losses the White Sox absorbed just by having, you know, that disconnect, uh, you know, between the front office and the manager and then having a manager too, who just pursued some really weird strategies, you know, the one, two intentional walks and the over reliance on Larry Garcia, which I think most right thinking managers would have given up on by May. You know, there, there are some opportunities year over year to sit, you know, Show, I guess, what a manager can do. I know, but the general manager gave him a three-year deal.
5: You know what I mean? Like, like so, like, yes, the manager was was should not have played Larry Garcia, but the general manager gave him 20 million dollars. Is that a problem?
3: Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah, major so I mean, one. but you know, we, we've seen before in previous, and there have been so many uh disappointing signings and trades and such where Kenny's had to step in and say like, I don't care about salaries, play the winner. <laughs> We've heard that a few times. So, you know, you could theoretically, uh, you know, put that to the test and, and bench that guy making 5 million, you know, I guess stump for that guy to be designated uh, for assignment in order to free up a roster spot for somebody who's more useful. Like, they, I mean, there's a whole lot to unpack here and unfurl and, you know, there's always going to be, it's almost like a house inspection. Like you can send like several inspectors to be like, Oh, we didn't see that the last time <laughs> uh, is going to uh, turn up some red flags and, and going to prevent uh, the sale from going through. But this is the white Sox are dealing with. So, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I, I, I ultimately, you know, think when I, I think of a team that would be able to free itself from a general manager and president of baseball operations, I think like how nice and refreshing it would be to have somebody else in charge going into this winter and just having the open field of possibilities, not being able to imagine and and have uh, you know, predetermined outcomes that I, I feel too strongly about that ultimately sat my spirit. Like it would just be so nice to have a fresh attitude and a, a, a fresh set of eyes and, and and new voices and no set of prefabricated quotes that cover uh, every situation we can think about. And then, you know, ultimately I get resigned to the fact that, yeah, this is, Kenny Williams, this is Rick Hahn, this is Jerry Reinsdorf, and we are probably going to get what we're going to get. But I think, you know, I'm trying to hold out hope that at the manager level, there will be some things he can do that maybe, you know, between, you know, Robin Ventura, Rick Renteria, uh, Tony Larusa we did not get from the lack of a process. And that assumes that there's a process to begin with, and I ultimately want to see the White Sox have that process before I uh, assume they're going to have one. If this is a home
4: inspection and I'm looking around, I'm seeing where the standing water is and what wiring is not up to code. Two things stand out, and I wonder to what extent a manager or Rick Hanafy addresses this. Can understand it. And when I look at team stats on the year, walk rate and home runs, they were the they were last in baseball in walk rate right. after being fourth best last year. They were dead last in walk rate. Right. That's no way to live. They were 23rd in home runs. They hit 149 home runs. That's a minimum of 50 home runs too few, maybe 70 home runs too few. Can both of those issues be
1: solved? At the same time, might seem like a minor miracle. I mean, it requires like Yasmani Grandal to bounce back to his 2021 self. It requires... Aloy Jimenez to play more than 140 games and Tim Anderson and Luis Robert, it requires that Andrew Vaughn has to take another step forward in his progression. There's so much pressure. If Jose Abreu is not coming back, Dan, Andrew Vaughn, if he's going to take the torch, he needs to do what Thomas and Canerco and Abreu did hit 30 home runs and drive in hundred RBIs. Not 17, 30. Yes. So, I don't, again, the whole idea that the trade market will be more fruitful for us. It wasn't very fruitful for you last offseason, so that doesn't give me a lot of confidence that in the trade market the White Sox are going to bring somebody in to help out with home runs. If it's truly on these guys, I guess the first step, Jim, is basically stay healthy. If these guys, if the key core players can stay healthy and play together for more than 140 games, I guess that gives you a shot at hitting 200 home runs, but we've been watching these guys for years, Jim, even in the minor leagues. They're not one to be known for taking their walks.
3: Yeah, that's the bigger issue. I think with the power, I can have a little bit of sympathy for the White Sox and that the ball changed, and the White Sox, you know, when you look at Jose Abreu, Aloy Jimenez, Andrew Vaughn, they're known for all fields power. And in this year, this specific season, opposite field homers dried up and so if you're counting on you know getting your 30 homers and like 10 of them are the other way and all of a sudden like you know, the majority of those aren't there any other setback in like you know an injury uh you know bad weather just normal assortment of luck on batted balls going to the wrong depth of fence in a given game like all, all those start to you know be really important and when those conspired against the white Sox too all of a sudden they were short on homers and and that's, I think, a bit of an issue because when you hear Chris Getz talk about, you know, Oscar Colas and uh, Brian Ramos and others, they like to talk about all fields power. And I think we're seeing right now a premium on guys who can pull the ball in the air routinely. And like, we, we saw that a little Especially bit Especially with,
4: with no shifting now, you're not going to be
3: as punished for being a pull-only player. Right. Yes. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, this is a bit of a wake-up call to realize, like, you know, to the extent that they planned around a ball that all of a sudden abandoned them. Okay. I get that. You know, you have to uh, take some hits in that year, but that should be front of mind. I think going into this off season is either we need a hitting coach and perhaps it'll be part of the whole managerial shift, a whole coaching staff overhaul, which I'd also welcome. you know, having, you know, when you're, when you're talking hitting coaches and hitting approaches saying, uh, what do you think about the shift? How is this going to affect? Can we get these guys to abandon you know, the, the all-fields approach when when seeking power? Is there a way to tap into more pull power, or are we going to be getting pop-ups trying to chase that? I, I think that's one big question that they have to confront. But there is a possibility, just given the, um, the dead end they, they hit going into this all-fields power and settling for singles and homers are by accident. I do think they have to take a more purposeful approach because that ball has shown – to not reward that kind of thinking. I want to ask you
5: both about this, and it's it's going to seem like a loaded question, but it's not. I'm, I'm just curious. When you look around the diamond and some of the things that happened with the White Sox offensively this year, is there anything that suggests to you that any particular player who had a bad year, it was an outlier? And was there anything that happened where, like, let's say a guy like Sebi Zavala, where you go, you know what? This is
1: actually truer to what, He could actually turn out to be. So on the first part, yes, Manny Grandal. This was a career worst year for him, and if this is what he is, he's going to get kegled in June. So if that, hopefully, that lights a fire under him this off season, like fix your legs—a common theme of the 2022 White Sox season. Where's his legs? Hopefully, Grandal can bounce back. The the one player that gives me hope is the way that Aloy Jimenez hit post All Star break when he returned from the injured list. He's the one that gives me the most faith that he's going to hit 30 home runs and drive in 100 RBIs for the White Sox. Based on the numbers that he was posting after the All-Star break, when he came back, his slugging percentage starts with a five, which is so refreshing. My Lord, White Sox hitters, it's okay to have a 500 <laughs> slugging percentage, please, for the love of God. Okay. Sorry, I'm going to. A little, this is the thing that bugs me the most about the White Sox the last couple of years. You play a guaranteed Ray Field. Oh, I'm sorry. It uh, gets out of me. Those are the two, as far as one that I think it's not that bad. It, it shouldn't be as bad as it was this year in Yasmani Grandal. And the one that gives me faith for next year being Aloy Jimenez. Jim?
3: When Luis Roberts is healthy, even like after the wrist sprain initially, when he slid into Jonathan's scope and, and dinged up his wrist, he came back and he showed some impact contact. Then he re-aggravated it. And, uh, you know, then the rest of the season was in that mess of mishandling injuries and not being willing to admit what everybody's eyes are telling them in terms of just this guy can't swing the bat without uh, releasing it with the wrong hand. And like Larry Garcia, when he was collapsing the batter's box because of calf injury and that didn't change until Miguel Cairo took over. Like, you know, there are a couple injuries that were mismanaged. Tim Anderson's groin issue was another one to where like there is a lot of upside just from more competent injury management. So that's what I'm hoping to see. I think that's where my upside lies is Luis Robert looked dynamic at times. He looked like a game changer at times. Like when he hit that grand slam at target field, that was, you know, that I thought we thought was going to be the turning point for this offense when they had that great series and the first half. And then just, you know, the, everybody gets dragged down by just the amount of struggling bodies on the roster. So, you know, basically stay healthy is a joke, but there are a couple guys, especially the up the middle talent to where they are good they they are dynamic they can make the game look easy they just have to really revisit what went wrong training wise and communication wise with the training room
4: guys i want to say the job that you have done and uh, patrick nolan and everything throughout the year the clear eye the clear head and and the heavy heart that has gone in (laughs) to, to, and it's not easy when when I say, I really mean it. It it really is, is not easy to do what you do and and care about a team that for so many ways, for so many of us who do care about the white Sox in a lot of ways, even down to that most recent press conference, they, they don't seem to care about us back sometimes. And, and, and it sucks. And for you guys to keep applying the lens and keep speaking truth to power and keep applying metrics and and objective truth to this team it's really important the work that that you guys at Sox machine are doing and that's why we've really enjoyed your your contributions to this show throughout the year so to both of you to to jim and to josh here here's to a a better next year here's to whatever this is improving whether around the margins or whether something special happens and and they get a lightning strike with this manager White Sox fans
1: deserve so much better. At least they've gotten it with your coverage. Well, I really appreciate it. We've loved being on your guys' show all season. Hopefully we can do it again next season. And uh, hopefully that is a much more entertaining. I'm not sure if it's going to be better, but please be more entertaining next year, White Sox.
5: Soxmachine.com, by the way, is where you can check out all of the stuff that the guys are writing their podcast. It's all available to you. And they, they really don't take a break. So there's going to be stuff inside of the off season where they're going to be on top of everything that is white Sox.
3: Yeah. Thank, thanks so much for the uh, kind words. And yeah, like sometimes with the way the white Sox conduct themselves, I think they want us to quit. Like they want us to stop caring. And Personally speaking, that's what keeps me going.
4: <laughs> it's all a real healthy situation. Yes. I don't want to give them what they want. Yes, <laughs> I, I love Jim being living <laughs> in the petty. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Jim Margulis <laughs> and Josh Nelson of Sox Machine. Thank you so much, guys. That's great. Thank
1: you.
6: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.